Welcome to the Psychosphere. My name is David Sutcliffe, and my guest today is Kimmy Inch. Kimmy is a kink expert, a professional dominatrix, a kink and BDSM educator, a published author, and a somatic healer. Please enjoy my conversation with Kimmy Inch. Have you been <laughs> recording a lot of podcasts? Yeah, I have. Um, not not my own podcast, but being on other people's uh, podcasts. So Talk. you think I'd, ha- I'd have get the hang of it by now, but not quite. <laughs> and you've been talking about your work. Mm-hmm. How's that going? How, how is it sharing your work and spreading the word? Well, it's exciting that so many people are curious and interested and wanting to learn. Um, and are excited about what I have to offer. So it feels great. You know, it feels really great. Why, why do you think that is? Why are so many people interested in, uh, in, I guess, kink and BDSM? Right. It's so funny because so many people think they're the weirdo if they're in, into these sort of things. And I say, you know, the book Fifty Shades of Grey was the top selling book of the decade or top three anyway, selling book of the decade. So you are in good company if any of these things sort of entice you or, or you find interesting. And I think it's people just love having access to imagination and creativity because that's a big part of what kink is. Mm. Um, so a lot of people are interested in not only that, but how to elevate their intimate life, how to, uh, how to create more, you know, like what else is there? And kink is a, another tool in your tool belt that you can use for the what else, you know, how did you get into it? <laughs> well, I, used to be a DJ and I moved to Tokyo to DJ. And back in those days, you know, being a tall, blonde American girl in my early 20s, um, in and of itself could be considered a fetish in Japan. And there were producers that created these fetish parties that were interested in my style and the music I was playing. So they asked me if I would be interested in playing at their fetish parties. And I had really no education on what a fetish party was or what the kink lifestyle was about. Um, You know, another story is that I actually figured out I was kinky since I've started having sex. But at the time, I thought kink was like the movie Pulp Fiction, bring out the gimp. And it was just for, you know, odd people in the Midwest who are bored in their marriages or something like that. You know, I had no idea what kink was until I started DJing at these fetish parties. And that was my introduction to this whole world that I had no idea anything about. So you were a DJ Mm -hmm. in Japan. Yes. And you got invited to fetish party. What's what is what what does that mean? What is a fetish party? I want to go to a fetish party or maybe I don't. You would love this. Maybe you do. (laughs) Fetish parties are gatherings that include usually aspects of kinky play, uh, kinky expression, especially people are dressed in outfits that sort of convey a more fetishy vibe. So I'm talking about leather, latex, lace, um, PVC, things of that nature. And people go to express themselves, to meet others and to play essentially. Mm. And, um, 
uh, at these fetish parties, you know, there's also different rooms and one of the rooms could be the dance room. So people could just go and dance their ass off in their sexy outfits, or they could go to other rooms and meet like-minded people and uh, other rooms again, to actually engage in kinky activities consensually with others. Right. And what, yeah. what is kink exactly? Like what, how do you think about, I mean, I mean, this is what you do. You teach people kink. And I, I, I guess like I want to be taught because yeah, yeah. Um, I don't know that. I, I mean, I have an idea of what I think it is and I don't know that I've uh, practiced it exactly. I mean, I guess we're all kind of kinky mm-hmm. in our way. And it also is a little intimidating uh, and a little scary even. Um, and I guess that's part of what you're doing is trying to, uh, help people get over maybe their judgments or their fears, uh, or shame that they have about kink. Is that, is that right? Absolutely. Well, let's just start from the beginning and say, what kink is now kink. If you look it up on Google, you're going to find the definition is pretty vague. It's the unconventional in sex. Mm-hmm. So I say that's vague because what's unconventional to you might not be so unconventional to me. It's really subjective, right? And mm-hmm. what is considered unconventional, but essentially kink has an element of taboo attached to it that actually creates the juice and why people are attracted to kinky activities and kinky could be for some people doggy style or dirty talk, or it just really depends on the person, but there's an uh, aspect of it that feels naughty, feels taboo because it is out of the norm. Um, that creates the excitement for people that like to engage in it. And you started out as a, well, you got into kink, but you're also a somatic practitioner. That's correct. Yeah. I actually started um, as a dominatrix and was in that field for a long time as a dominatrix, as a kink and BDSM educator. And I found through this work that it was actually very healing. And I wanted to pursue um, learning about core energetics, about somatic healing to also include into my line of work as a dom, because I witnessed people really in their most vulnerable states. You know, I, I'm sure you can relate to working with people and allowing them a sacred space for them to truly express themselves and to allow for whatever comes up, uh, to be welcomed and to be seen in that. And that was an aspect of the work that I did as a dominatrix. And I thought to myself, there's so much more that can be done here. There's so much more that can be accomplished. So I wanted to go back to school. I studied core energetics because I was seeing a core energetics practitioner myself and had already experienced a lot of deep inner work that really opened me up in new ways. And I wanted to introduce that aspect into, uh, into kink with my clients so they could also experience healing through that work as well. Mm. It's so you discovered as a dominatrix that the work that you were doing with your clients was healing right. for them. Can you, can you say a little bit more about that? I'm curious. Right. You know, I, as I was mentioning earlier, this aspect of the taboo that creates that excitement and that juice can also easily be linked to things like shame and guilt, as so often as many sexual 
things tend to be, you know, and I want to say kink isn't in and of itself sex. Kink can be used to intensify the sexual experience, but kink in and of itself is not sex. And when people are exploring in kink, it can bring up all sorts of, um, yeah, all sorts of feelings of shame and guilt. So when I'm working as a dominatrix and I'm creating a space for people to express themselves in, I'm also thinking about the care that goes in before we play and after we play to help my clients integrate the experience and to know that it's okay. What we did was consensual. It was fun and that there's nothing wrong with you. It's amazing to me that so many of my clients not only wouldn't tell their partners what they were doing or their families or their friends, but they wouldn't even tell their own therapists. Like they would keep it a secret from their therapist even. So in a sense, I was seeing people in their most authentic selves uh, mm. more so than a lot of other people would, would see this. And it's no wonder. I mean, I, I know you said at the beginning that you find elements of kink perhaps a bit intimidating and you're not alone in that statement. I mean, when you look at what's available in the media, you tend to see an, a focus on some very hardcore elements, right? Like when I heard about kink, I was like, oh, I saw the movie Pulp Fiction bring out the gimp and head to toe leather and masks and whips and chains. And I'm like, oh, that's scary. <laughs> um, and it wasn't until I started to educate myself to find that that's just one little sliver of what it can be. It can really be whatever you want it to be. And um, it's up to the people involved to decide what's best for them and how they want to proceed. What, what's a, a typical kind of thing that would happen in a, a dominatrix session? Like what, what are people coming for? What are they looking for? Yeah. And, and what is exactly are you providing? Yeah. Well, I, I tell people, you know, if, when they ask, what is a dominatrix really? And I say, I help people turn their fantasies into reality in a way that's safe and effective. And when people reach out to me, they're interested in discussing desires and fantasies with me and wondering if I can help them come alive. There are big aspects of power dynamics um, in kink so as the dominatrix, I'm what you would call someone that would be in the leadership position. And mm -hmm. some people are like, what is the dominant? What is the sub? Sometimes I like to say, just drop those terms for a moment and almost think of it like dancing. You know, when you're in a mm -hmm. tango or a salsa, there's a leader and there's a follower and both are needed to create the dance and both are, uh, can, can be masterful in their mm -hmm. own way. So in the dynamic as a professional dominatrix, I am the leader in creating the scene, but it's a co-creation. So people come to me, they share their desires, their interests, their boundaries, and we collaborate together to see if it's a good fit and to see if we can make this uh, fantasy come to life. It could be anything from them experiencing bondage or sensation play or role play or impact play. I mean, there's all kinds of, I mean... There's a bunch of possibilities, you know, and I'm not available for anything and everything. There are certain limits that I have myself that I need to communicate to my clients, but we try to find our hell yeses and bring our hell yeses together so we could create some, you know, meaningful, magical experiences together. So it, there is a, a, a dominant submissive dynamic, which is, I think, common in kink. 
And so uh, is there something erotic for you about being in the dominant? Mm. Like what, what is, what is the, what is the draw to the dominant? Well, I'll be honest. You know, when I first started back in my early twenties, I'm 40 now. When I first started, I was first, first and foremost attracted to the idea that I could make this much money without taking my clothes off right? Um, or having sex with anyone. And in my limited perception, I was like, oh, I get to be treated like a queen. And, and, um, and that was my very limited perception and superficial perception of things at the time, which people have, you know, when I, when I talk to people about being a dominatrix, they're like, oh, what a great job. You get spoiled and people do whatever you want. And it's just absolutely the opposite. You know, I, I'm there to facilitate the sacred space, the safe space to help my partner's fantasy come to life. Um, and originally, you know, there was an element of, Oh, I get to be in control. There's a safety there to being in control, but Mm. I was really limiting myself. And it wasn't until I started seeing a core energetics practitioner to do some inner healing of my own healing around the father wound healing around, um, having anger towards men in general, based on my past experiences, Mm -hmm. um, feeling the need to be in control and to stay safe by always being the one who's the boss or calling the shots. Right. Yeah. That's so interesting. It, it's amazing. Yeah, it really is. Um, and when I did that shadow work um, in core and really looked at those parts of myself, I started to wanting, I started to want to transmute them into something else and create healing and openness and tap into the power of my heart. So my sessions changed drastically mm-hmm. when I started doing inner work on myself. It went from a very superficial, you know, I'm going to be a bitch and, and, you know, tell you what to do and take your money and laugh all the way to the bank to wanting to really help people step into their fullness and, and step into their erotic fullness. I started to realize just how important our erotic selves are and how it ripples into all aspects of our lives. Um, and I wanted to facilitate more healing and empowerment than to take advantage of others. So I actually found my own healing through this work and through the somatic work as well. But uh, in combination, I was able to really play out my shadows um, in Mm. real time with consciousness and take a look at, was it it really serving me and what I wanted in my life? And it wasn't, I wanted to make some shifts and changes and I wanted to bring my heart in. Interesting. Cause I I can imagine that consciousness is uh, crucial. It's in some sense, the whole game, because it seems to me that a lot of people's sexual fantasies um, are rooted in some kind of childhood trauma. And so um, I guess that you're often playing with that as well. Like people's childhood trauma is, is, is present. It's there. It's informing the fantasy. Things become sexualized in different ways. And there's a charge there. And not, not, not that it needs to be uh, pathologized, but I, I guess that it needs to be understood exactly what this is about or, or no, like what, what is your, your take on that? So, you know, David, I just want to 
be careful of our wording because you know we throw the word trauma out there, and I, I and I don't want to make this um, sort of blanket statement because in my findings over the last twenty years, I do want to say that I feel like the impressions that were made upon us as we were growing up around sex, love, and intimacy and relationships do impact um, our desires as adults later on. Mm -hmm. I don't always think it's linked necessarily to trauma, big or little T traumas, Mm -hmm. um, depending. So I just want to say that to start. And what I'm interested in through consciousness is creating choice. So Mm -hmm. if somebody feels it's a compulsion and they must have certain fetishes or kinks available to them in order to achieve arousal or climax or, um, have pleasure even that's something I want to look at, right? Like I Mm want to look at, uh, is this, uh, is this a kink or a fetish that is enhancing your life or are you a slave to it yourself? Right. Right, Like pun intended and um, wanting people to have choice. Um, and that it doesn't have to be a compulsion. It can be a choice that they get to step into. It's not a have to, it's a get to, and that creates such a different energy when it's a get to, you know? Right. Right. So for me, I don't ever like to judge, uh, where the kink, uh, stems from. I think it is useful to maybe Mm -hmm. have an idea where it comes from and see how it may be playing out unconsciously in other aspects of my client's Mm -hmm. life outside of the dungeon, um, or even outside of my, my uh, therapy office. Um, but yeah, I'm really interested in yeah creating choice for people so they can step into their pleasure, uh, more fully and, and are able to access it more uh, easily as well. And I can imagine that uh, it can be emotional for people. Like it's Mm. because it's so vulnerable because people have very often have shame around these impulses when uh, you create a a space for them to, to explore there, there must be a lot of uh, emotions come up for people. You know, uh, there's always sort of rules and agreements that I put in place before working with any clients. And one of my top rules is all emotions are welcome, right? Because it's so often people want to engage in maybe their fantasies and they think it's going to be this hot and heavy and sexy experience. And next thing you know, they're a crumple of tears on the floor, right? They're starting to feel their rage or they are feeling their fear. And I, and I want people to know that, yeah, um, this vulnerable parts of ourselves, um, can easily access these really big emotions that may have been locked in. And for some of my clients, even using elements like pain, you know, kink isn't all about pain or servitude at all, but there can be elements of pain that actually helps the body to open into deeper emotions that it might be holding on to. So people can actually use the different kinky activities we do as a way of release, right? As a way of letting some of these emotions out um, and doing it with consciousness and getting support and being witnessed. And that can be really powerful. Do people come to you uh, or to your workshops, not really sure about what their kink is? They're just curious about the whole thing and, um, and, and, you know, what do you help them discover? Yeah, I do. You know, um, because aside from doing one-on-one sessions or sessions with couples, I do these classes and um, immersive experiences 
and people will come. They're not quite sure. They're interested. They're curious. Maybe they're on a sort of sexual journey of the themselves of wanting to awaken parts of themselves. And this seems intriguing to them. And we really start with some of the basics of really just tuning into self-connection and creating safety uh, as a capable adult and learning how to connect to your own desires and your own voice in those desires. Mm. Being able to have your yes and your no is so important in kink Mm. and in sex. So we start there. We start with consent, self-connection, you know, grounding yourself Mm -hmm. and, and learning how to access really what is your true hell yes, or your true desire and, and, um, and how to keep yourself safe in that navigation as well. So we look at all of these different pieces. And then from there, when somebody really feels, um, solid in their sense of safety, or at least their felt sense of safety, you know, these fertile grounds can grow so much, you know, amazing, uh, fantasies and desires and possibilities. So, we really start with building the foundation first. Like, let's get really clear on what is consent? What is checking in with yourself look like? What is tuning into your internal landscape look like? So you're making sure you're honoring yourself and you're not forcing yourself through different Mm -hmm. exercises or ideas because, you know, sometimes people just, you know, oh, I don't know about this, but I'll just do it. Okay. You know, like we want people to be really embodied as they take every step forward. And we have people come to our classes and they say, you know, I'm just going to observe. And that's totally great. We say observing is also contributing as well. Like you can observe and you can take it in and you can let us know if you want to try, you know, an experiment with someone else or with one of the teachers. And we just, you know, first and foremost, we say, honor yourself and, and take your time. And we're here when you're ready. What's, I mean, if it's possible to describe just a, a little bit, um, like what, what exactly goes on at, at the workshops? Like if I was mm-hmm. wanting to come, what, what would I expect? Oh, I would love for you to come, David. We have one coming up for uh, Valentine's weekend. And what we're doing is an immersive experience. So it's usually a two or three day experience that starts off with welcoming our guests, um, treating them like Kings and Queens and showing them, um, an insight into what a conscious kink session would look like between me and my co-lead Casey Neal. And what we do is we actually put on a performance that's about 30 to 45 minutes long. And we demonstrate what a conscious kink session is because most people don't know, like they may have saw on a TV show, some woman dressed in head to toe latex or some guy tying up a girl, but they don't really know like what is possible. And what we show them is me and Casey dropping into a moment together through an attunement process that we do, eye gazing, deep breathing, grounding our energy, and we move it into the direction of exploring different activities together and even using things like energy sex and and, um, other sort of implements as we play. And it's very emotional, like people actually cry when we do these performances, cause it's so intimate, it's so loving and it's so connected that they're like, I had no idea kink could even look like that, that it could look that way, that could, it could look like it has so much care and, mm. and presence 
mm. to it. So we want to first start off showing them what's possible. And then we say, you know, come back the next day because we have a full day of teaching where we're going to actually show you step by step how to create your own scene um, and how to step into that that feels right for you. And sometimes couples come, sometimes singles come and meet other singles to do some um, explorations with, but we really handhold them through the process of figuring out what are their desires and their boundaries, and then moving it into a, a possibility for them to be expressed during the classes. And that night, uh, Saturday night is usually a play party where people can integrate what they've learned. I, I mentioned earlier about DJing at fetish parties, Play parties are similar, but they're just really focused on play. So you're not going to have a room with a DJ or a bar mm -hmm. or anything. It's just, you know, it's a sober experience. There's no alcohol. People come and their intention is to, you know, participate or witness uh, as others play in a kinky setting. And the class has the opportunity, opp opportunity to do that after the weekend is complete. So it's sort of the crescendo to the end of the class. So, um, yeah, it's a, it's a really amazing experience that has been very transformational. It's definitely for people that are interested in really transforming their erotic lives and, and interested in sort of diving deep in that sense. And you said singles come and couples mm -hmm. come. How, how is it for couples? Do they, I assume some couples come, they're on the same page, or maybe they're not on the same page, or and you you try to help them find the the middle ground or or right. the place where they can connect. Uh, I love that you bring this up because, sure, there are moments where both partners are very much you know on the same page and ready to have an experience with each other. But uh, very often, in a, a partnership, there is the one partner that's sort of like going along for the ride. Okay. My partner is really excited about this. I guess I'll show up and see what this whole thing is about, you know, and we really um, honor couples and wherever they are, you know, we really want to make sure couples have a clear understanding of their own agreements so they can show up like a team and they can show up in a way that feels, you know, comfortable for them and where they are in their relationship. So the couples will come. We make sure that they have a clear understanding of what their agreements are. Are they going to um, just do exercises together? Are they going to maybe try exercises with other people? Are they going to just observe? You know, they, mm. they have an opportunity to sort of talk about that and what that looks like. And usually people, you know, they have a little bit of in intimidation before they come. And when they feel that they're in a safe, a safe space and welcomed by me and my co-lead. And they see that the other people are also just, you know, curious and interested as they are. People tend to really open up and the group together goes really deep, you know, cause again, this is very vulnerable, uh, deep work for people. So exploring this with others can be, yeah, very, very intimidating, but it tends to I just love like the beginning of the weekend, people are like, Oh, I don't know. And by the end, they're like, Oh my God, I want everyone to do this. Like, really? It's so amazing when you see that expansion. Yeah. Like that expansion is just such a beautiful thing to, to behold. So yeah, that's usually how it ends up at the end of the weekend. That must be really gratifying for you. It, wow. Yeah, it really is. It, you know, um, whew, sorry, I get uh, emotional when I think about, um, just, how people are held back because of what they're taught 
is normal or what is acceptable and how stifling and limited that is. And when I feel people are able to really be their, their true selves and, and really open up in these new ways, it's like showing somebody that anything is possible. Like life can be what you want it to be. You mm. get to create, you get to be the dominatrix or the dominant of your own life. You mm -hmm. know, you get to create what you want to create. What are, what are your limits? What are your boundaries? What are your desires? It's really up to you what you want it, want it to be. And that just, ah, that's just makes my heart sing. You know, I just love that. It's beautiful. So it sounds like you, you, you give people a framework and a, a kind of a demonstration and to create a safe space in which this, this kind of work, uh, can happen and, um, and then guide them through that process of exploration and discovery, you know, by, I guess, by asking them questions, drawing out, teasing out mm. the things that, uh, may be of interest to them, helping them maybe, refine and then take uh risks mm. in the direction of what would give them excitement and pleasure is that an yeah. accurate way to say it we offer you know opportunities for it not to just be a classroom it could also be their science lab you know like mm. they get right. an opportunity to experiment we create opportunities for them to do exercises that we have available and and we show them uh, what the exercise is. It could be an exercise in communication. It could be, uh, we have this really fun, dirty talk exercise we like to do. And what it is, is uh, we break people up into groups of three and each person takes turns sharing their ultimate fantasy, mm. or at least sharing a fantasy they found really exciting or intriguing while the other two people listen. So they do this for maybe two minutes and then they get into a comfortable position where the other two people that were listening get to take one, um, each ear. So one person is at the right ear, one person's at the left ear, and they say the fantasy into the person's ear at the same time while the person is just lying there taking it in. There's no sort of touching. There's no sort of physical exchange. It's just um, an oral exercise. And oral, I mean, A-R-U-L. Did I spell it right? Aural. Yeah, not oral. It's not an oral exercise. It's an aural exercise. And people get to discover just how powerful words are mm. and, and using imagination to speak the words into someone's ear and to receive the reflection of someone's um, fantasy that they described uh, to others being it, uh, described back to them. And the whole exercise maybe takes five minutes per person. And it's very, very powerful to share your fantasies with others and to have it spoken back to you. Uh, and it creates a lot of uh, intensity for people. And it's what I like to say is like finding these ways of dipping the baby toe in the shallow end of the pool. Like, I don't like pushing people into the deep end, so if you're not ready to act out any of the activities that we, you know, we could show you how to spank someone properly, we could show you how to tie someone up properly. But if that feels like too much right now, how would it feel to just talk about it? Like, how would it feel to just say your fantasy out loud, which for many is very intimate, right? How would it feel to say your fantasy out loud and to have it spoken back to you? Is that something you're available to try as a pinky toe in? 
And most people are like, yeah, I, I guess I'm available for at least talking. And next thing you know, they're like, okay, I'm, I, I'm ready. Like, let's try something else now. So we try to create safe space for people to have these little experiments and they can gain information. They can, you know, um, they can gain the knowledge and, and learn more about themselves in the process. Mm. Is part of the work you're doing, trying to, I guess, I guess, normalize this kink and, and these, because even the way you describe it, it's like, it, it, it almost takes it out of the realm of kink, or at least the <laughs> definition that I think right. we think about and just says, it's like, just play. It's just mm -hmm. sexual exploration and sexual play. Mm -hmm. Right. Yeah. You know, and for some, this is, you know, they almost think of it as a sexual orientation, you know, they mm -hmm. believe they were born kinky and it's a part of their identity and um, it's a necessity for their lives. And I, and I think that's wonderful. And I'm not there here to debate that for a lot of others. It's like, um, you know, wanting to enhance ways of having intimacy with others. Mm. Um, and for whatever reason, somebody might be interested in kink. I do want to be able to create spaces where we can have these conversations, um, but also have availability of going deep with them. Like I, I used to back in the day, just teach people how to tie someone up or teach someone how to spank another, like, you know, these very technique focused classes mm -hmm. to just show people how to do A, B, C, or D. And now I'm really interested in helping people access their aliveness and using mm. kink as a doorway into that. Mm. Because again, like I mentioned, I love kink, um, because of the aspect of it being imaginative and creative. It's usually entails a lot of thought process and, and explorations of, um, different aspects of who we are, like alter egos of who mm -hmm. we are, people that don't always get to see the sunshine or show up at uh, work. You know, those people are different than what's uh, behind closed doors. So being able to not only find acceptance of these pieces of ourselves, but celebrate them. Like, I don't want to normalize kink. I want to celebrate it. Mm. I want to celebrate people who are interested in sticking the, the pinky toe in the shallow end of the pool of kink, right. because that's courage. That's courageous. Yeah. That's exciting. Like, so I want to celebrate kink and help others, um, open up to that as well. That celebration of, uh, aliveness and imagination and creativity and, and yeah all of those yummy things about life that I love. Yeah. And I, I, I guess as, as you say, you're, you're facilitating, um, awakening people's aliveness. I assume that, uh, once their, uh, sexual, uh, kink aliveness is, uh, liberated is, is set free that that has an impact on other areas of their life. Mm, yeah. Is that true? I believe so. Yeah. I believe when, um, you are able to navigate kink uh, because it takes a lot of communication. Mm -hmm. It takes a lot of trust. Um, it takes self-connection. Um, there's these elements that are necessary in order to create an effective kinky experience or an erotic encounter. Mm -hmm. And with those skills of doing it uh, behind closed doors, 
you know, you also have skills on how to bring that into the rest of your life. How do you, mm. how do you stay creative in your life? You know, like right. how do you creatively face obstacles? How do you stay in flow? How do you stay connected to yourself despite what hurricanes are, you know, surrounding you in your personal or work life? Like, how do you stay grounded and connected to yourself? Um, and, and stay clear of like, what is really your, um, what are you consenting to what you're allowing yourself to be, um, you know, involved in. So I feel like, yeah, the communication, the trust, the, um, creativity, all of these sort of things can ripple out into aspects of your life uh, and same things in relationships. Like there's a, a book that I'm working on called relationship kink, where, you know, when you're able to really understand what it goes into creating kinky experiences with a partner, you can see how that can bleed into all aspects of the relationship from trust, from safety, from communication, um, you know, expression, truth, all of these sort of things. So yeah, I, I'm a firm believer that healing looks different for everybody mm -hmm. and kink can definitely be a doorway in that direction that can affect all parts of your life. Well, I can imagine that it's a great practice in learning how to ask for what you want and how to uh, set clear boundaries for yourself. Mm, yeah. It must be an important part of the process that you take people through. I love it. You know, when we're teaching people to really have their no and really be strong in their no, um, then it makes their yes just so much better. Mm. You know, it's so yummy when you get a yes from somebody that you're clear that they know their no as well. Like they're, they're strong in their no. Um, I tell people, you know, when I'm playing with a partner, it sometimes people think, oh, you know, you have to go through this checklist and figure out what's the yeses, what's the nos that sounds limiting. And I'm like, oh my gosh, it's great. Like I know what tools I have to play with. I know like how to create this ultimate experience for somebody because they were really clear on what is okay and what's not okay. So I actually feel safer. I right. feel more connected right. uh, when I have a felt sense of safety. And so does my partner. We can right. access more pleasure and mm. intimacy. Um, and ultimately, you know, that's what kink is about is hopefully creating more pleasure in our lives. You know, people are into kink for the, the high, you know, that it gives them. Um, they're all these sort of chemicals that get released into mm. our bodies. That's completely natural. Um, that makes people feel really euphoric and like they're floating on air, um, without any sort of outside substances being added in. Mm -hmm. So yeah, the pleasure aspect, um, isn't just physical, but it's also mental, emotional, um, right. it can be transcendent for people. And you are active on Instagram and I guess TikTok. I'm not on TikTok, but I think I am. You're, yeah. And you're, yeah. you're, you're very playful in the videos and creative in the videos you make and, uh, put, you're really putting yourself out there. Was there any, uh, was that a journey for you? Uh, was there any hesitation or fear about putting yourself out there in this way? I was so grateful that there was a platform, you know, people had told me about TikTok for a long time and I'm like, what, that's for teenagers, isn't it? Um, and, uh, when I learned more about the platform, about these videos that people were creating, I'm like, I have so many ideas that have been inside of me for a long time. Things that I just find funny or that are lighthearted or playful or, you know, meaningful to me. So I, you know, decided to try it out. And when the response was so favorable, mm. I was like, oh, okay. People actually want to listen to what I have to say. Are they are 
also finding the videos to resonate with them and their humor or their perspectives. And it was very encouraging to continue forward. And now I just love it. I just, you know, I call myself a bit of an edutainer of kink and BDSM. Um, and I like showing a lot of different sides of kink and BDSM. You know, if we can't laugh at ourselves, I feel like, you know, you're missing out on the fun parts of life. So I like being able to laugh at kink and BDSM and, and parts of myself as well. Has, has there been any people in your life that have, uh, are uncomfortable with <laughs> you putting yourself out there? I, I don't know, you know uh, parents or right. aunts and uncles. What, I how, how is that? Oh man, I am really lucky because, um, I had a family that was very welcoming, you know, when I finally decided to come out of the closet as a dominatrix and somebody active in the kink lifestyle, um, I was met with a lot of acceptance. I do remember mm. though, having a conversation with mom around it. And she was like, you know, as long as you're safe, um, that's all that matters to us, but maybe we don't need to tell grandpa about this. <laughs> and I'm like, it's okay. We don't have to tell grandpa right, right. about this that, you know, not everyone needs to know. Um, but I am loud and proud that's for sure. And, um, yeah, I, I feel like, yeah, I'm just out there. I just love being able to have my voice in this and that I have the privilege in order to do so. Um, and, you know, I know not everyone has access to that privilege. So I feel very fortunate and mm. blessed because of that. And I hope it, it helps give others permission to have their voice as well. Mm. Wow. What, what, what is it like you think that's drawing people to this right now? Um, like what, what are you seeing in, in, in people who are coming to your workshops? Is, is there a theme, mm. um, around their sexuality or around ideas that they have around sex and kink? What, what, like what is happening right now in the culture do you I think like, around this? Yeah. I feel like in an age of, you know, personal development workshops and experiences and people wanting to go deep and, and see what else life has to offer. I feel like make no mistake, like a journey into your erotic self is a personal development tool that is like of the highest caliber, you know, like I think people really want to expand mm. in ways that their parents and grandparents never had access to. Like people are interested in what am I capable of? Like what else is there? Like um, you know, people want to have experiences that blows their minds and hearts wide open, especially in this digital age, more so than ever, like people want their hearts blown open. Right. Um, and I think that that's a, an attraction there because there's an intensity level in kink that people may be attracted to that isn't necessarily found in um, what we call just normative um, vanilla sex, there's right. an intensity level that people feel like it's going to maybe push them, um, in ways that it's going to open them up that they've never experienced before. Right. And I, I wonder, and I, I may be wrong about this, but, uh, it, it kind of ironically in some way, it might be, uh, an antidote to, um, hookup culture, mm. right? Because, right. you know, you can go on Tinder and, swipe and, and, you know, I, I don't know, this is what I hear that mm -hmm. young people are, uh, hooking up all the time. And, and, uh, sometimes maybe it's, uh, meaningless or unfulfilling sex. You, you hear a lot about that. I don't, I don't know if that's true. Um, and maybe unconscious sex. 
And so what you're doing is bringing a lot of consciousness and awareness to uh, people's uh, sexuality. Do you think there's something, some connection there? I love this theory so much. I love this idea because, um, yeah, I feel like people want to be fully in their bodies and their hearts and in all parts of them as they move through this life. And especially when it comes to intimacy or relationships, even more so. So I love the idea that, you know, people not wanting to settle for the swipe left, swipe right sort of um, mm -hmm. culture that they actually want the, to be tapped into mentally and emotionally. And kink also, like I said before, it doesn't have to lead to sex. It doesn't have to be sexual at all. Right. It can just be an erotic expression that doesn't have to be um, sexual. So I think that that creates a lot of opportunity for people to get to know themselves better and to not necessarily have to always make it about sex. Um, I think people are curious about what else. I mean, I know Tantra is something that's been very popular and that's something that I include in a lot of the work that I do. But yeah, I think uh, people want to up-level from just hookup culture. I think, you know, um, hooking up is fine. There's no judgment there, but um, not many people tend to be fully embodied in, in that culture. Right. So I think people want to have more meaningful experiences while they're on this planet for the short period that they are, you know? Yeah. Yeah. And, and so it's that, I think that probably is a big misconception as well. Like what you just said, um, this idea that it's always about sex or it leads to sex that sometimes kink is just about sexual expression. And when you say play, mm -hmm. it doesn't necessarily mean sex. Right. It means just playing in, in the kink. So maybe you're tying somebody up and you're spanking them and, and that's the extent of it. And, yeah. and, and maybe there's some role play and there's each person gets to feel themselves in that situation. And that in and of itself is, uh, uh, erotic, I would assume, but also, uh, liberating. And, and as you said, healing for people. Mm -hmm. mm. David, I have something called spanking sisters and I'll tell you what that is. I have some really close girlfriends that, um, are clued into what this means. Basically when I'm feeling really stressed out and I feel like I just need some physical attention, I'll ask one of my spanking sisters if they could come over and just give me a good spanking. And there's not a sexual exchange. There's, I, they're attractive, but I'm not sexually attracted to them. It's really a sensation-based exchange um, where I feel really safe with the person. And I'm able to, basically, they're not spanking me out of punishment. They're spanking me in a way to bring the energy down from my head into the rest of my body. Mm you know, below the belt even. So helping to activate the energy in my pelvic area, um, which helps to, helps me feel more grounded and helps me access more of my creativity and also helps me have a release as well if it's needed. So my spanking sisters, you know, they, we are there for each other to create a, a safe space to have a sensation-based experience, but it's not really about pain. It's not really about uh, power at all. It's just, yeah, coming together and having an experience that helps me feel uh, better about life and it helps me open up and it helps give me the release that I need in order to be a functioning adult in this world. So it's, it could be a, it could be really powerful in a lot of different ways, no sex involved. 
is 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 spank it seems to me i could be wrong i'm sure there's a lot of men who like to get spanked but it does seem that women uh most women it seems like to get spanked what what is, why why is that why do women like to get spanked well you know the the ass is actually an erogenous zone you know it's covered by layers of fat on the butt cheeks so you have to access it in a way that is more intense by you know, spanking it, uh-huh. but it's an erogenous zone, just like, you know, places on the nipples, on the genitals, on the, the neck, you know, different people have mm-hmm. different types of uh, excitement zones, but I love spanking for a lot of different reasons. Like I mentioned earlier, I felt, I feel like it's an effective tool to move energy uh-huh. to help bring people out of their heads into their bodies. It's right. very rare. You're thinking about paying the bills when you're getting a good spanking, at least right. I hope so. Right. Um, you know, and yeah, and it can also be used symbolically as a way of dominating another or having right. power over another. Um, but also for those on the receiving end, sometimes it's a, a beautiful way of surrendering to sensation mm. um, in a way that just helps them to relax and just open um, or excite, decide, just depending on what you're trying to accomplish. But it could also be used to build energy and intensify areas in the nether regions, you know, because of the close proximity of the buttocks to Mm -hmm. the genitals, you're drawing more energy there. You're drawing more blood there. So you're creating more sensitivity in the genitals because of the close proximity to the butt. So there's a lot of different reasons uh, somebody might enjoy spanking. And, you know, David, being a professional dom, I do get couples, I do get women, but for most of my life, it has been predominantly men. And these men love getting spanked. They love Um, getting spanked. They loved it. Yeah, they love it. Um, So yeah, I would say um, at my classes, especially a lot of people are not so sure about impact play or spanking because they are uh, worried about the pain element. Mm -hmm. And I like to say, you know, no matter what kinky activity you want to engage in, you get to decide the intensity level. Mm -hmm. Like you can do spanking really light and you can do dirty talk really hardcore and intense. Like it really depends on the partners of what the intensity level is. So when people realize like, oh, spanking doesn't have to be painful. Impact play doesn't have to be painful. Where does that leave me? Most people are able to experience something sensation-based that feels actually really good on their bodies. And then if they want to create a context of power exchange or being dominated or punished to add fuel to the fire, that's their prerogative, Mm -hmm. but it doesn't have to look any certain way. You get to decide, you know? What's coming up for me is this idea of uh, uh, the dominant and submissive and you know, I'm, I'm sort of more masculine, more drawn to being dominant. And so I, I tend to uh, uh, be with women who are drawn to being more submissive. Mm-hmm. And what I've noticed is that uh, both of us uh, very often have shame about, well, I'll have shame about the wanting to be dominant. And they'll have shame about wanting to be submissive. Mm. And uh, yeah, I mean, does that, is that something that, that, that comes up at your workshops? Like, like somehow it's wrong. Like, I guess in, you know, the age of feminism, it's, there can be ideas that it's wrong for a woman to want to be uh, submissive to the man or to the masculine. And for a man to want to assert his dominance over a woman is also wrong. Yeah. 
Well, think about it. I mean, most of us throughout our lives at one point or another have been subjected to unconsensual domination and submission. Right. So given that experience, there can be all kinds of attachments to shame and guilt when maybe wanting to pursue it in an erotic space, you know? Right. And there is, you know, for for those wanting to step into dominance or submission, there are um, shadow aspects of yes. these dynamics. But if done, if there's a clear consciousness around it, you know, being in the submissive position can be one of the most powerful, right? Positions yes. you can be in mm-hmm. and being in a dominant position can actually be a position of true surrender to what is yes. like, what is in the moment, what is mm-hmm. happening now? I exactly. don't want to have an agenda. I want to sh- be with my partner in, in the now. So it's interesting because the concept of dominance and submission, um, both partners, have responsibility, both partners have choice and both partners have availability to surrender and both partners have availability to power, like really when Mm -hmm. you dig underneath those layers, but absolutely there's so much shame linked to it because when you are not um, in a consensual situation and you're being dominated or you're forced to be submissive or what that, whatever that is, it doesn't feel good. You know, domestic violence is a real thing and it's not good. Um, kink is not domestic violence. It's consent. It's prepar it's preparation, it's communication, it's trust, you know? Um, but there's a lot of fear around that, um, about slipping into, the shadow side of things. And that can be avoided with just your own inner work and your own consciousness. And so I can see how, uh, with everything you just said, uh, how your workshops and this, this kind of play safe play can really be healing for people and Mm. claiming back these parts of themselves. Yeah. Their sovereignty and to rewrite some scripts that, mm-hmm. you know, aren't serving them anymore. And to look at what belief systems were put in place through society, through family structures and how it's holding them back from their truth and their pleasure. Mm. Mm. Thank you for sharing that, David. That was very vulnerable. And I appreciate it because I know, um, in this age of, um, women, seeking equality and talking about down with the patriarchy and all of these sort of things. Yeah. The, the questions around dominance and submission, you know, I like to tell people that dominance isn't inherently masculine or feminine, right. Same with submission. Mm-hmm. Um, but it does also create the polarity that's really juicy right. for people just like masculine masculinity and femininity, but yeah, the dominance and submission, whether you're male or female, it's up to you, but it can still create that polarity that can be really enticing for people. So it just really depends on your relationship dynamic and what feels right for you both. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I, I, and I can also feel the place where I would have, like, if I was to come to your workshop, that the edge for me would be in the submission. Mm-hmm. that I, I I feel fairly comfortable with a part of me that's dominant and and I feel the goodness of that and and because I've had uh sexual partners that have allowed that and we've explored that in a really safe way so I've learned to trust it and, and exactly what you said that it that it's its own surrender mm-hmm. surrendering to my impulses surrendering to my body mm-hmm. uh and trusting that uh is yeah, it's, it's, well, it's surrender and it's, it's a beautiful thing, but, uh, 
yeah, I, I, the, the idea of being submissive, mm. I, I can feel that there's probably something erotic in it for me, but I, it scares me like this conversation, I think, uh, scares me. Like I, you know, having you on the podcast, I was a little nervous about it because, because this whole conversation scares me in some way. And I'm, I'm sure that's true for a lot of people. And like, there's the part of myself, like that part of myself, I don't think that I know. And I think that I would feel shame about exploring it and being seen there, mm. uh, based on my own, uh, ideas about what it means to be a, a man and masculine. Is, is this a, a theme? Oh, sure. And, you know, it, what I mentioned earlier in the podcast is something I mentioned early on in the class around using terminology like leader and follower. And mm. the reason why we do that is because we want to sort of open up the um, ideas of what this all means. Like when we're talking about doms and subs, that's one dynamic of many possibilities. There's mm -hmm. also sadists and masochists. There's also mm. tops and bottoms. There's like different sort of dynamics at play. So when I, when I say, you know, let go of all of that, that I'm either dom or I'm either sub or like, you know, people get really caught up in right. wanting to just have a clear understanding or a label or know what they are. And I'm like, just you play with the terms leader and follower for a moment. Mm -hmm. Again, I re refer to the dance, you know, like I refer to the dance and it's like, what does it feel like to maybe follow somebody's lead for you? Mm. And, and, but the purpose of the lead is a co-creation that would be created by both of you in order to achieve more pleasure, more intimacy and right. more expansion, you mm. know, given the clear intention for the, for the dynamic to come together, could there be your own little pinky toe in the baby and shallow of the pool, shall we mm -hmm. say that you could feel into your ability to maybe follow someone else's lead, which I'm sure you have in other contexts, right? You know, you've, you've, done radical aliveness and you've done other sort of workshops and, and scenarios where maybe you did a bit of following other people's leads through, um, experientials and, and explorations. Mm -hmm. And this could be another dynamic, um, similar to that. And you can figure out like, what are the, the hell yeses at this stage where we could dip the toe in, or we don't have to do anything. And we could just lay down next to each other, holding hands and discuss a scene together where mm. I'm going to be your leader and you're going to be my follower. And you tell me what comes up in your body. When I, when I mention these different things, what comes mm. up in your body, David, when I suggest laying you down on the bed and tying you to the bed. So you are in a position of sur forced surrender where you would have to be, um, willing to open, to receive my touch. And I would only touch you with this feather. And I would only do it in a way of love and care and kindness. Would you be willing to be tied to the bed and receive in that sense, not as a way of me dominating you, but mm -hmm. as a way of me creating more vulnerability for you um, to create mm. intensity 
Because mm. as a do- as the leader, I'm interested in not doing a bunch of shit to my partner. What I'm interested in is creating vulnerability mm. and helping people access their vulnerability because that's where the power is. Right. And I would love if I were to work with someone like you to, to know ahead of time, I would never do it without a complete and full verbal. Yes. Right. But I would like to know, is that something that maybe we could try? And if, if tying you to the bed is too much, how would it feel to like, maybe I just use my hands, you know, I'm a, I'm a woman, so you're stronger than me, but I kind of pin your hands down mm-hmm. with one hand and I use the other hand with a feather. Mm-hmm. Would you be available for trying that? Because you know, you could get out of it. Like right. what could be another baby step if that, if that feels like too much, but I, you know, if there's a, an interest or a curiosity, you know, people ask, like, if I feel shame around it, do I need to do something about it? You don't ever have to do anything. Right. You don't have to, you don't ever have to address this, but if you want to maybe learn a little bit more and see what comes up for you, there's lots of ways and steps that can be taken to really move slow and allow you to continue to check in with yourself and to see, you know, maybe there's some information that needs to be uncovered to help you have, you know, more of the life that you want to live, or maybe not. You know, I I honor whatever that is for you, David, you know, but I think, yeah, uh, being able to step into the follower um, role is uh, very powerful, just like the leadership role as well. So. I hope well, that maybe I, someday you can have that experience. Yeah. Well, I'm, ima- I'm going to imagine having that experience. Like, you know, the, I, I think I would, I would say yes to being tied to the bed and uh, to be touched with a feather in a loving, gentle way. Is that, mm-hmm. um, and, and yes, it feels, it would feel, I mean, it's scary. It feels vulnerable to me. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I think there's something that I'm longing for there. Mm-hmm. And there's some place where I, uh, I don't entirely trust. Like I, I well, I, I, obviously if I'm going to get tied up, I'm, I'm, mm-hmm. I'm, I'm going to say I'm forced to trust, but I, I, I'm making a decision to trust which is powerful. Mm-hmm. And then I assume that I have some degree of autonomy. Like if I don't like it mm-hmm. or if I don't like where, or how you're touching me, I could say no. Absolutely. And, and then if you were touching me somewhere else that I liked, I could say, yes, I like that. And then just go along with that experience. Yes. Or if you wanted, you know, we always, um, agree on safe words and we Mm -hmm. agree on the safe words because sometimes people like to use no or yes, um, during play, but it doesn't actually mean no or yes in the moment, you know? So we would, you know, I use the stoplight mechanism. So red is no and stop and yellow is let's slow down or decrease intensity Mm. and green green is I love this. So, you know, Mm. if you wanted to, you know, try out being tied and I was touching you lovingly with a feather and you wanted to see what it felt like to say no and me not stop. Mm. That could be I something see. to play with. Right. Oh, interesting. Yeah. Yeah. You could see, see what it feels like to not have your no honored consensually. I understand. Um, and, and that you would know that you, and I would even check in and say like, are we still agreeing? 
Is right. this still a green for you? Yeah. Um, especially if we're starting out, because I want to go really slow. Right. I mean, there are just too many uh, horror stories of people just going way too deep and too hard too soon. So, right. yeah, really pacing, really checking in, really moving slowly is important. Um, and yeah, and you could also have an experience of what it's what is it like to say no and have it ignored? What does that bring up in me? Is it excite me or does it piss me off? Does it hurt? Like what is what comes up for me in those places? That's yeah. really interesting. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And it, yeah. And that's, a, that's a, 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 obviously that's a, a common thing that you would, you would do because it, it does evoke a lot of feeling in people. Absolutely. You know, people mm. come and see me even to be consensually humiliated and to be talked to in a very degrading way. Really? And yeah. And we discuss this in great detail. We talk about like, what are the things that are okay to say? What are the trigger words that are not okay to say? You know, I try to avoid trigger words that are going to take someone out of the moment. Accidents do happen. We always yeah. set the intention that, you know, we're only here for the good reasons um, and mistakes do happen. But I try to get the information ahead of time and people can have a, an experience of being spoken to verbally in a way that's considered degrading or humiliating to them. And that, creates that, that thrill and that juice I was talking about late, um, earlier about, you know, how does it feel in your body to be talked to in this way to be spoken to or treated in this manner? And for some people, it's very exciting and thrilling for them. Um, and then they know also that it could be stopped at any time that they want to stop it. It will be stopped immediately as soon as somebody says red. And if I am noticing their body language, Um, or if I have any concern, I'll check in and make sure that we're still at a green because I always want to make sure I'm not really harming my partners. So it's interesting. That's, that's the humiliation, which I I know is, is common. It's interesting to me. It would be hard for me as a, uh, you know, psychotherapist, not to want to understand what that was about and where that came from, Mm -hmm. but you're not doing that necessarily. You're just using what's there Mm. and playing with it with the intention of uh, not only uh, bringing more aliveness, liberating shame, but also healing. Right. Right. And I, you know, if the client does want to explore maybe origin and have better understanding around that uh, with my background, I am available for that. Um, with that said, you know, sometimes some of the ways that we, um, you know, speak to ourselves, like sometimes I can never say mean enough things to someone that I say to myself right. at times, or another person might say to themselves. And I've actually used that as a tool for people that have been sort of suffering with self-criticism or self-loathing. Mm. And I almost say like, you know, I am going to step into this extension of you and show you what you're doing to yourself, Yes, you know, and you can stop it and you can stand up to it. You can, you, you can decide what you want to do. Right. And some, sometimes people stand up to it. Sometimes people, um, you know, ask for reassuring language and I change it, you know, there's, a, a, I hold somebody, you know, depending on what happens, but right, right. again, we get, we get to, we get to decide, we get to play in that, um, and, and figure out what's going to serve the client best. And I'm sure there must be all kinds of challenging situations for you, mm-hmm. things that come up in people and, and unexpected. And you must have learned a lot over the years of, of, of doing this. Mm. It has definitely 
shown me a part of humanity that not everyone gets to see, but we're all, we all want, you know, to be seen. We all want to be uh, known. We all want connection. We Mm. all want, you know, um, freedom and creativity. Like we all want these sort of things and to see that show up again and again, it's just, you know, seeing humanity in a different light. Um, but it's, it's beautiful. It's really beautiful. And, um, you know, things that come up for me that I get alarmed about, I will share is that when a client shows up and they want to basically use me as a tool to abuse themselves, Mm. that is something I'm not available for right now. If they want to do humiliation or a heavy scene of impact play or, or what that looks like. I'm available for that. As long as we can discuss, you know, um, what it is and what it's about, but the energy of feeling like I'm being used to abuse someone, isn't really something that I want to sign up for. Like I want to play with people that have some sense of their own, power and, um, have some sense of their own, um, yeah, sovereignty, like, and that they're actually, if I am going to be the one taking on the power that they're handing it to me of their free will. Right. And and that they're doing so knowing that they are a powerful uh, human of their own right, handing this responsibility to me, um, then me coming in and doing something that I feel like isn't actually serving their greater good. Like, I don't want to get involved in situations like that. So I have to do a lot of vetting and and conversation and talking and, and, and like figure out what that all is. Uh, because yeah, I, I do this work really to serve the client and hopefully the, the greater good to be honest. Yeah. Well, it sounds similar to what happens at, you know, core energetics or radical liveness workshop. You, you are going into, um, uh, people's deep feelings and they're being expressed. And sometimes they're being expressed in relationship to each other. And sometimes those feelings are, are, uh, you know, shadow feelings and lots of uh, judgment or, or, or negative intention. And I don't let people go into that unless I can feel that they're conscious, like that they, they are there aware and they understand what it is they're doing, because if they don't, uh, then there's no opportunity for healing or growth. So I, I, totally. I assume it's the same thing. You have to feel people's awareness and consciousness in the act. In the act. Absolutely. I think it's so important. And we also set up appointments for a debrief and for a follow-up to maybe have time to reflect after the sort of the high intensity energy has settled a little bit. And then we can sort of reflect on Mm -hmm. like what took place, what transpired, what worked, what didn't work, what what were the ahas, what did we learn? What did what were the takeaways, you know, like, and, and have the, the conversation well after the, the play is done as well. So we can continue to grow and transform and elevate, you know? Right. Cause I, I can imagine similar to my workshops that uh, sometimes people walk away and think, what the fuck did I just do? <laughs> <laughs> Wait a minute. You know, the, and their mind, the shame comes up and the mind, you know, gets the best of them. And the contraction, exactly. And so they, they need some support after the fact is to remind themselves of the goodness of, of what they did and what they experienced. Mm-hmm. Beautiful. So yeah. true. Yeah. yeah. So what, what do you have uh, coming up? What's, what's next for you? 
Yeah. Well, you know, I just released my first online course called Talk Dirty to Me. Um, and don't let the title fool you. It's a little bit of a fun title, but it's really about using erotic language to create um, erotic encounters from beginning to end. So we cover everything from communication, negotiations, safety, um, to intensifying the erotic experience, to aftercare and debriefing. Like we cover the whole gamut of how to use our voice um, mm. to create the, the erotic world we want to create. So I just released that now and that's available um, um, online. And the next event we have coming up will be in Austin. I'm trying to entice you to come, David, but we're doing something <laughs> the weekend of February uh, 9, 10, 11, and 12. And we're going to be doing a special um, a, a special experience that's going to be similar to the immersive experience I mm -hmm. shared with you, but we'll also feature uh, a lesson in Shibari um, and other surprises as well. So Shibari is rope bondage. Uh, which oh, is, rope can bondage. be a very beautiful art form. Yeah. So we're going to be also offering rope bondage as part of the weekend experience for singles and couples interested in traveling into the erotic arts. Amazing. Yeah. Amazing. And so those who are interested, I'm sure everybody's interested. How can you not be interested in this? <laughs> I hope so. <laughs> yeah. It's amazing. The work here, it's really powerful. It's great to have this conversation and, mm, yeah. um, you know, you're a, a very eloquent and uh, heart centered ambassador, I think of, of kink. And so I'm, I'm grateful that you're out there you. doing this. Uh, it's, it's, you know, I feel, uh, just liberated, uh, in this conversation, just in, in listening to you talk and, and, uh, the care that you have, uh, for the work that you do. And so it's, it's great. So people can find you, at kimmyinch.com and, right. and you're on uh instagram kimmy inch and mm -hmm. uh tiktok, TikTok. uh-huh is tiktok yep. your that's your main venue no you know um <laughs> i don't know if i have a main venue you'll probably find me more on instagram these okay. days but yeah because um tiktok is only videos and, and instagram right. is like right. a lot of different things so you'll definitely find me on um instagram my email is kimianch.com and then i am also at erosandkink.com um if you want to find that talk dirty to me course we have other courses coming out soon we're going to be doing a dom training mm. uh, a certification program so for those interested in being in leadership position in an erotic experience this would be a perfect um ex a class for you. And yeah, you can find all of that on erosandkink.com. Kim Hinch, thank you. Yay, David. Thanks for having me and letting me share my passion with you and your audience. I really mm -hmm. appreciate it.